It's 440, uh, Wednesday, October 13th. Um, I'm going to warn you right now, lots of sports talk on today's podcast because my guest is, once again, Walleye and Mudhens announcer, professional sports broadcaster, uh, my friend Matt Melzak will be on in just a moment um, to talk about what was a very successful, but also kind of bittersweet um, Mudhens season. They were, they had one of their best seasons ever, but they didn't have a playoffs to do because of, well, COVID things. Um, we'll talk about that and uh, tie that into the Tigers were surprisingly good this year. And some of the mud hens this year will help that Tigers team. Next. So, like I said, lots of sports today, man. I'll give a, lot, a little bit of a preview as we're just a couple of days away from the first um, walleye home game at the Huntington Center since last March. Just about hockey season. So, one quick sports thing uh, before I bring Matt in. We had mentioned this um, when it was initially announced, and I don't remember when that was, but the NHL started last night. And uh, one of the marquee games of the night was the expansion team, the Seattle Kraken. They have a very cool logo. The microscopic nuances in that logo and how they created it very cool. Something neat to look into. If you like sports logos, you might not. But the colors are cool. The logo is cool. Seattle Seattle is a hockey team. They played Las Vegas last night. And Everett Fitzhugh made some history. Why does this mean anything? Well, he's originally from Detroit. Uh, grew up a big Red Wings fan. Matriculated his higher education at BG. He is a BGSU alum, BG, which has a fantastic hockey program. Um, trying to think of a good comparison. Not quite like Ohio State football successful, but BG is known around the country as a very, very talented and successful hockey program. Uh, Eric Everett Fitzhugh is a Falcon. Last night, he became the First ever uh, black full-time play-by-play announcer when the Kraken um, hit the ice with the Golden Knights last night. First black play-by, first black announcer in the NHL full-time. So that is a great honor for a guy who has some Northwest Ohio roots. Matt Melzak is a Northwest Ohio guy. He is he's very rural Northwest Ohio. But he comes downtown to call games for us, the Mud Hens and Walleye. Um, I think you know that I have, I loved sports in my life for a very, very long time. I don't love them like I do. There's very, uh, like I, like I did. There's very few people who I enjoy talking sports with. Uh, I miss my dear friend, uh, Mary Beth Zolik, who used to work over at the river because we lost her, uh, this past year. I love talking sports with her. It's always a great time to talk sports with my friend, Matt Melzak from the Walleye and Mud Hens. Where are you? Where am I? It's, yeah. I'm in my house. Oh, that sounds much better. Oh, yeah? Uh, yeah, when you first uh, logged in there, it was very loud. It sounded like you were on a racetrack. Well, yeah, because I had the window open. (laughs) And it is like a racetrack out here in the sticks. With, well, with drivers or all of your animals? Uh, both. Both. Um... (laughs) How is my boy Booter? 
He is doing okay. He's got a little skin issue we're trying to clear up. But this, uh, this otherwise, poor, he's this, hanging in. This poor dude, he's had uh, like a worse time during COVID than many people have had with COVID with the eye stuff and the skin thing. I know, it's crazy. He, he's He's been a man on a mission to see a lot of vets <laughs> in the last year. And make and, <laughs> and break mom and dad, too. Right, exactly, yes. I think that's his whole plan. <laughs> well, uh, if, if mom and dad uh, can't keep the lights on, Booter's certainly not going to get any food. That's right. Well, he, he does fine in that regard, so I, I wouldn't lose any sleep over that for him. Good, good. <laughs> Well, it's good to hear your voice again. I mean, outside of what I heard and saw over the summertime, it was nice to have baseball back. Yeah, it certainly was. It was it was a thrill to be back at the ballpark and to do as many games as we got to do this year. It was it was fun. Did you feel rusty back? Uh, well, in May, I guess. Um, maybe maybe a little bit, but it wasn't too bad. I mean. You know, I did get to do a few games for BCSN. I did some football last fall. I did some hockey over the winter, high school level, but at least it was still something. And then, uh, you know, did the game for Grand Rapids in April and, uh, you know, got a chance to at least do an AHL game. So, you know, I kept in a little bit in the broadcast world. But, yeah, it was getting back to the daily grind of baseball was certainly something that, you know, after, what, 12 14 months was quite a quite a shock to the system yeah i know uh everybody getting back to work it was like everybody was really excited to go back instead of sitting around the house but then it's like the daily grind or whatever the new routine you had to settle into no different for uh professional baseball broadcaster matt melzak no no different at all you know and once you get things fired up again and then this year on top of it with doing the travel for the team you know, there were so many different rules and protocols and, you know, things that obviously had to be followed to make sure everyone is safe and healthy on these road trips for baseball players and staff. And, you know, there was certainly a lot of extracurriculars that went with it that were on top of, you know, the normal baseball things. Was there a time during the season where things began to feel normal and we were we were less burdened or you were less burdened with protocols that are obviously important but normalcy helps um was there a time where, th- where you could sit back and go this feels like typical a typical summer of baseball i i think i don't know if we ever quite got there eric but i would say when you know in my world personally i think a lot of it changed for a lot of fans when we could open up the stadium full capacity uh you know we started seeing the seven eight about 9,000 fans in a game. Uh, but I think when it really started to feel a little more normal was when I was cleared as a vaccinated individual to go down onto the field again uh, and be a little bit more around the players. Still wasn't allowed to go into the locker room, uh, but to be out on the field and get it actually interact with players again and the staff and the coaches, you know, it made things feel a little bit more like okay, I'm back to what we're used to doing. The fact that I could go down and talk to Adderlin Rodriguez, you know, hey, man, great home run the other day, and we talk about that a little bit. I couldn't do any of that at the first part of the year. So once we got into July, that's when it really started to change a little bit more and feel a bit more 
like what I was used to seeing on a on a regular basis. How hard was it to do the job knowing that you had a lot fewer anecdotes and things to share with fans until that time in July hit? You know, it really it really fell on Eric being able to prepare even more. Sometimes, you know, you're you're down there and you talk to a guy, uh, you know, a player and he tells you a story of something that's happened to him, you know, 10 years ago in college baseball or, you know, something of that nature. You know, sometimes, you know, you wouldn't have that at the beginning of the year. So Jim and I were relying way more on, you know, looking back at a guy's career and the, you know, uh, looking at certain seasons for them. And, and then the constant uh, reminder that there wasn't a minor league season in 2020. I don't know how many times Jim and I mentioned the fact, well, last year <laughs> really wasn't last year. You know, it was two years ago for a lot of those guys that didn't actually get a chance to play in the major leagues. They didn't really play anywhere. Uh, You know, maybe a few of them. I I think Ricardo Pinto pitched overseas in Korea. But you didn't have a lot of guys that actually even played baseball at all the previous year. So uh, you relied a lot on Zoom interviews, post games, you know, to kind of ask a few questions of guys to kind of get them to talk about that stretch and you know, finding out from like Jacob Robson that, you know, in Canada, he was stuck in Canada there. So, you know, he's trying, he's begging people to come and just throw him pitches so that he can hit baseballs, Right. you know, last in the 2020 summer. So uh, it was very interesting to hear some of those stories as well. We, uh, we talked about this a little bit when we did our little uh, baseball season preview back in uh, March or April or whenever it was. We did we talked about how the Tigers should be a little little interesting this year, and we'll get to that. Um, but the fact that the Mud Ends could see some of these really top Tigers prox- prospects, and lo and behold, they arrived, and we'll get to where this team finished up. But what was that? Was there a mood change? Was there an electricity, an energy that hadn't been around the team, the team in a while when Riley Green and Torkelson showed up? Well, I'll tell you what, Eric. I, you know, you get into the August time, and especially the way this year was, where we were going all the way till October, and you're hitting that point in the season where guys start to get tired. You know, it's a constant grind, and now you got a lot of guys that hadn't played the year before, so now they're really fighting to be up and ready to go every day. I think the Monday off days that Major League Baseball put in in the minor leagues certainly helped keep guys fresher a little bit longer because there'd be some stretches. You'd hit that part of the season, July into August. The team might have one off day in the month of July and August in previous years because you want to play so many days when the weather's nice. And, you know, you don't you get that. But now Major League Baseball comes in. They say, hey, every Monday's an off day. I think that helped a little bit. But then, yes, when you saw Torkelson Green, Kreidler come up all at the same time and just that enthusiasm that added to everything that was going on, just everything that was, you know, uh, you know, the 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 noise in the building uh, at Fifth Third Field. Yeah, just that constant media presence that, that those guys brought along with them. Uh, you know, I think it certainly helped a lot of the players, you know, focus on playing very good baseball. And they ended up doing that. And I think that had a, a big boost to it when they came up, those guys, even even when, the, you know, guys like Torkelson. Torkelson didn't hit the ground running. It took him a little while into September before he really started to showcase why he's so high up in the Major League Baseball ranks. But, you know, Green, that youthful 20-year-old sprinting, singles turned into doubles. Uh, Ryan Kreidler comes out two home runs in the first week he's in Toledo. 
uh, you know, energizing the the team with some great defensive plays at shortstop. It does. It's infectious and it's fun to watch and it gets everybody going. And I, I think it came right at the right time for those guys to make their way to Toledo. Uh, the noise in the stadium with those players and the energy and the crowd and everything was the noise different with the ball coming off Torkelson's bat? You know, it is it is interesting. That's one of the great things that I get to do, Eric, uh, you know, and I'm going to make you a little bit jealous is the fact that I can go down and watch BP. And I can stand there and listen to some of the shots that come off of players' bats. And, you know, there is a difference when you could tell a big-time power guy. You know, you look back over the years and, you know, I, a lot of people were surprised when I, Eugenio Suarez a couple of years ago for the Reds hit, what, 50 home runs in a season? Everybody's like, wait a minute, he wasn't that kind of player with Detroit. Yeah, but when you, when you were there and you heard the sound off of his bat, you could tell he hits with force. And he hits with power. And that's the same for Torkelson. Riley Green has the same sound coming off of his bat. Uh, they're very strong players. And I think you could see that in the numbers that they produced. Uh, the fact that even though Torkelson didn't have a terrific batting average with the Mudhens, he hit for an OPS of, you know, 900 with Toledo because of the fact that he hit the ball extremely hard. Every time he connected, it was something to to witness and he hit some bombs Riley Green hit some massive bombs too so I think I think there is a lot to be excited about with the Detroit Tigers going forward it had to be what well, we've all dealt with uh, emotions that we didn't like or ones we were unfamiliar with over the last 18 months um, it had to be an entire spectrum of emotions one like you said there was no baseball last year for most of these guys so you're back playing baseball you're playing so well that you could conceivably be the best Mud Hens team ever, but there aren't really a traditional playoffs. So walk me through all that stuff, how like you guys felt and Weber felt and the organization, the players, because great to be back, but there's a big butt standing right there. And yeah, there certainly is. And you know, I would have loved to have seen this team get an opportunity to take on Durham. Uh, you know, because Durham was the best team. Buffalo was probably a close second. Uh, and and just the way it would have went in years past in the old International League is we would have taken on Durham again. And, you know, I would have loved to have seen that opportunity uh, for the Mud Hens to play them and just, just to gauge because they were so good. You know, they won the regular season. They were 40 games over 500. I mean, that's an outstanding season. Uh, but I love the way the Mud Hens were playing at the end of the year. I know their record. Excuse me. Um, I know their record in the uh, 10-game final stretch wasn't up to where they probably would have liked it, but two of those games were losses to Louisville that came in the bottom of the ninth inning and one into the 10th inning because of a lead that was lost in the bottom of the ninth inning, something the Hens didn't do a lot of all season. And it just kind of ended up showing up there in a in a weird spot, and maybe that might have haunt, haunted the Hens if they were in a playoff series. But uh, I think... I think a lot of guys, I don't know how they looked at the 10 game, uh, but it was certainly just a different feel. You wanted to make it feel like playoffs, but you could just tell it was more, it was still more like regular season. Yeah, I think I think the managers tried to, they tried to make it work so that, you know, players would buy into making it feel like a playoff thing. I think a lot of guys manage that way, trying to win every game and, uh, you know, make it even more important, but it, it, 
it's just hard. It, it just felt like 10 more games to the regular season. I love the fact that MLB tried something different. And, you know, I love the fact that they keep trying different things. I think the game can be better even with uh, some more tweaks to it. And, and I think it's going to be fun to watch what they come up with for the coming seasons. We we talked uh, about some of the things we might do if we were a commissioner um, back in the springtime. Now that we've had another season to look at things, um, talk about what you just alluded to, things that could, could change, improve, or we remove from the game to make things better at all levels. Well, I thought there was a very interesting article on Baseball America, Eric, uh, maybe a week or so ago. Uh, that talked about all of the rule changes that were put in place at the different levels this year and how it affected the games. And every team, every league had half a season of something different and then half a season at the normal level. For the for AAA, for AAA East, what we were in, we had the bigger bases uh, for the first half of the year. And, and what they found was it didn't really add to stolen bases or you know stolen base opportunities like they thought it would. However, I think one thing that would come out of that was the fact that you didn't have as many collisions maybe at first base as you normally would with guys sprinting up the line and, a, you know, a close play. Uh, you know, I don't think you saw too many, you know, feet collide like we do see every now and again and guys get injured. That might be where the big bases may come into play in the future if it does help alleviate some of the injuries uh, on those side of things. Uh, but I did read in that article that in the A-ball, uh, especially out west, they had a major shift by using a 15-second pitch clock that took their time in the game in the first half of the year that was over three hours, 301 was their average, down to 241 in the second half of the season with a 15-second pitch clock. So maybe that is something that we see at a higher level. Maybe it goes to A next year and they try to see if it can – uh, you know, how it affects uh, pitchers as they go up the level. Maybe it even comes to AAA to, to get an idea of how it affects pitchers that are in the major leagues and that are in the minor leagues on their way up and guys that have already pitched in the big leagues that sometimes are a little bit slower when they are now pitching in AAA. I, I, think, I think the idea is there to try to speed up the game a little bit because I think, that, you know, and you and I love baseball. We could sit there and watch it all day. There's no problem with it for you and I. But for the average fan, if if you're going to a three-hour game, how long are you invested into that game? And you know, I think I think that was part of the deal was that they're trying to find ways to continue the pacing of the game. I think it, you can have a three-hour game, but if it feels like a three-hour game, and then there's not feeling like a three-hour game, and sometimes I think everyone knows when a game is destined for three hours because you can feel it. Now, if a game reaches three hours and you don't even know it's reached three hours, you're happy because the pace of play was there. And I think that's the biggest thing with the pitch clock and, uh, you know, guys stepping out of the batter's box and trying to, you know, call auto strikes. It's to keep the pace of play up. And I think that's what Major League Baseball is really trying to strive for is a way that they can keep, uh, you know, from having games feel like they're dragging along and just keep the pace of play going. We all love the sport of baseball. It's fantastic. But I think there are some games where you're just like, man, I can't believe that this is going like it is. It just doesn't feel like it's even moving. And I think that's what Major League Baseball is trying to eliminate. You you give me too much credit for how much attention I can give to a baseball game, especially all of them and so many hours of them during the summertime. I'm all about the Maddox <laughs> um, or, yeah. or a crisp two hours and 41 minutes, like you said. And, and I'm, I'm with yeah. you. Um, 
if it's moving along like the way Greg Maddox used to pitch, like give me the ball and just throw it back. I'm okay with all the three true outcome stuff because I've always been fascinated by the one-on-one batter batter pitcher matchup. And to me, while, you know, it just might be swings and misses or foul balls. That's that's the chess match at the center point of baseball. So if we if we have strikeouts, walks, and home runs, but the game's moving, I'm totally good with that. So I agree that it's all about pace of, of how things are, are going on the field. And in, and in the broadcast booth, Jim and I are the same way. I mean, you know, he and I talk about it right on the air about, you know, sometimes a game doesn't feel like it's moving very well. And and, and a lot of times you look out and it's a pitcher that takes the entire 20-second clock to come set. And then once they've come set, they've figured out that as long as they're set, they can take as long as they need to then because the pitch clock is off. They can decide when they want. Welcome back. Hey, thanks. I don't know what the heck happened. I guess my internet went out. Uh, well, it's, so. it's living out there where you do with all the crazy farm animals and maybe when I'm chomped on the internet. <laughs> Um, uh, maybe you were talking about pitchers coming set, standing there and thinking they could take all day and slowing the world down. Yes. Uh, yes. And, and I think that's one of those things that we want to see major league baseball figure out and get, uh, get fixed. And yeah. I think that's where their ultimate goal is to try to keep the pace of play going, not necessarily having games reach a certain time. It's just hit that pace of play. Um, a couple of quick things about uh, about MLB. I'm enjoying seeing the Astros. Um, look, they cheated. They got caught. Um, other teams cheat and didn't get didn't get caught. Um, it's just the way baseball goes. But I'm happy to see that. Okay, they cheated, but they were also still very very good, as evidenced by how good they were this year. They're back in the ALCS, and some of that goes to AJ Hinch. He was part of the cheating. He paid his punishment. He he managed the hell out of the Tigers this year, and I think he's a big reason why they improved. I would certainly agree with you. I thought the way he handled that young pitching staff and the adversity that they had to go over, plus the way they changed that roster going along, it uh, you know it gives him a lot of credit. I think for what he's been able to do. So much credit, it would seem that he um, displaced a very successful manager of the Mudhens recently. And you don't have to answer. Uh, you don't have to answer that. I'm just reading tea leaves or whatever. That's usually how things work. Yeah, exactly. Uh, you know, all I can comment on with that is the fact that I really enjoyed dealing with Tom Prince. I thought he was, uh, you know, terrific at what he does. And uh, you know, I mean, obviously, every year we get changes, and we don't know always why. Uh, you know, and I, I haven't seen anything even on from the Tigers on on a change there. But, you know, it's it's one of those where I really enjoyed dealing with Tom. And and I know he's kind of an old school guy and who knows what they're trying to go with there. Uh, but, you know, obviously there was a reason why they decided to make a change. And, you know, we'll see who the next manager is. Hopefully coming up in the next month or two, we'll find out. And that could be interesting. Ryan Garko, there was a blast from my uh, 2000s video game playing days. <laughs> yeah, it's taken over in the director of minor league operations, right, for the Tigers. So uh, that could be a very interesting fit. Uh, and we'll see what his ideas are for the minor leagues. And that, that could be part of the, the shuffling, and the, the redoing of maybe the minor leagues for the Tigers. Maybe they have some newer ideas, some different things that they want to do and try. And 
you know, we may see a lot of changes all the way throughout the bottom part of the organization. Yeah. And and if AJ Hinch is at the head of all those changes, there are a lot worse people who could be there and making these decisions because he certainly proved himself in Houston, uh, aside from the trash cans and in his one season with the Tigers. Like it was I, I really enjoyed hearing him do interviews with MLB radio. Um, just a super bright guy, and the Tigers eventually were going to rebound, I think. Um, I think he supercharged that a little bit with what he brought to the organization. So the Tigers can go out and maybe look for a shortstop or a big-name free agent and excite the fan base to go with the young guys. You know, that would be probably the one spot where they are looking uh, for some help. It, it, you know, I mean, I think they wanted to really see Ryan Kreidler, and he's going to the Arizona Fall League just like uh, Torkelson. Uh, just like Green, to get more at-bats. And, you know, I think they really want to take a heavy look at him at shortstop as well because that might dictate what kind of a shortstop you go to get. I mean, that that's always a possibility. If you think you've got a guy in-house that can help you, then, you know, I think you – I think maybe you – maybe you look at one of the guys on the lower end of that spectrum that comes in and bridges – for a couple of years until your next guy is ready. Uh, you know, because we know, like, Correa is going to command an awful lot of money and a big-time commitment from teams. So uh, it'll be interesting to see what the, how they approach it in the offseason, what Alavila does. I would guess that the internet rumblings would closely connect uh, Correa and Hinch for their past relationship. I'm assuming it's, it was a good one in Houston. So, And I'm sure that'll get Tigers fans excited because obviously he's a great player, especially when he's healthy as he was for most of this year. But um, it was a good season for Tigers fans, great season for Mudhens fans. And um, now Hot Stove will kick up pretty soon for Tigers and Mudhens fans. Let's see what will be added to the, the improving organization. Yeah, we're going we're gonna to really enjoy seeing what all is coming in the future. I think the Tigers are certainly ready to push for a playoff berth uh, coming up. I think, that's, uh, I think they're going to be a team that's going to be in the mix when we get to next year because of their growth. And I think when these guys, the younger guys, even get into the lineup, uh, there has been something good to that as well. Uh, hockey season. Uh, we've got a home game here, the only home game, because it's an exhibition game coming up Saturday night. Um, I believe it was like March 20th or something was the last game of last year, right? Uh, the last game of 2020, I believe, uh, was March 11th, maybe? Okay, that sounds right. I think, I think it was March I think it was March 11th, Eric. I, I mean... I think they were going uh, to... I'm trying to... They were playing. They were going to play Cincinnati, and then everybody's like, "Shut no, it down." Played, everybody played. No, they played. It was March 11th. Played March, against okay. Cincinnati, five-three win uh, for the Walleye over Cincinnati in that game. Um, so, yeah, that was the last game played for the Toledo Walleye, March 11th, 2020. Um. First, uh, an exhibition game coming up this weekend, then the home opener, the first weekend of November. How excited are you? Because I know you're you you have hockey running through you. It's very cool to call the the uh, the Grand Rapids game. How excited are you for this walleye season to get back calling things on the ice? I'm pretty fired up to get after it again. Uh, I think I think it's an exciting time. Uh, you know, it's just exciting to have the feel. I mean, we've been down with training camp opening up. It's it feels like uh, hockey time now, and 
that's what's really cool about it is that, you know, you're, you're walking into the arena and the ice is there and it's ready and, uh, you know, the players are here now and they're skating on the ice and you get that feel. Uh, you go into the rink and it's cold and, you know, it just has that feel again like we're back to hockey and I can't wait to get back out on the ice and just uh, watch these guys perform at the high level that they do each and every year. We're, uh, we're a ways off from what could be another playoff run, but as exciting as a Mudhens game on a Saturday night is with 10,000 people and downtown is rocking, especially since I've been here, I've, I've experienced it plenty of times now. Um, there is nothing like a deep run in the playoffs for the walleye where that place is rocking in the spring and you're on the mic. Like We've had some good times here, and I hope we get another shot at that. Um, next spring is the team going to be good or any thoughts on how they'll perform this year well i think it's going to be another good team i i mean you can only go off of certain things that you know you just read on paper with a lot of these guys until we actually see them perform out on the ice but i think dan has assembled a very nice roster you look on paper it's got a lot of guys with you know either championship pedigree or terrific seasons in their past so it's it's a really cool uh, mix of uh you know, and, and a lot of a younger team uh you know we got so much used to uh the, seeing the same guys with Birchback and bonus and you know that group that it seemed like was staples every year and now you're kind of reloading that a little bit and i think it's a nice challenge for dan but i think it's one he relished to get his own uh, kind of group going here and a new group to Toledo Walleye Hockey. There are some guys that played a couple years ago, uh, but there's also a new set, and I think that's kind of neat to see. Yeah, there is nothing like a hockey game here again. All the love to baseball in the world. We love it when it's an 83-degree night, but uh, a Saturday night at the Huntington Center when the place is rocking, maybe Fort Wayne's in town, maybe it's Princess Night out on the concourse. But putting pucks in the back of the net on a Saturday night in the wintertime is a, is a good time at the Huntington Center, and I know a lot of people are excited to get back to it. I would agree with you. That's all I've heard about for months now, even at the ballpark. I'd have people stopping me, hey, you ready for hockey yet? And I'm like, well, I mean, I love baseball, so I need to get through one season and then move on to the next one. And now the, now the training camp is already going on, and I'm, I'm around the players a bit more, and you know, you're starting to, you know, see practices and things happening. It's exciting and it makes for exciting, uh, you know, uh, it makes for an exciting time in downtown Toledo that we're getting back to this and we're going to see people in the stands and I, they've already been mentioning there's probably, there's already like 5,000 tickets, I think, gone for Saturday night for a preseason game. We're yeah. going to have a loaded group uh, at the Huntington Center for preseason. I mean, that's, that's exciting. That that tells you how much people have waited and wanted to see hockey again in downtown Toledo. There was something different about, like, obviously there was no baseball season last year. There's something different, like, going back to the ballpark this year. Um, there's a different kind of energy, and you've, you just mentioned it. There's a different type of hunger to get back at the Huntington Center to watch. Maybe because the season ended the way it did. In, in March of last year, like things were, were unfinished, but yeah, it does feel like people are a little, a little bit more excited to go back to a hockey game than a, a baseball game. And that's obviously not to be, um, 
to denigrate baseball, but the electricity that comes out of that building with that hockey team is absolutely something special. It really is. And, you know, you can feel it when you're in the building. You, obviously, you hear it, uh, but it is. It gives you those goosebumps sometimes when you're in the middle of hearing how loud it gets into the arena. And, and you know, players are going to feel that, too, when they come out, especially guys that have never played for the Toledo Walleye are all of a sudden going to walk out on the ice and they're going to go, oh, my God, this is fantastic. Even in a preseason game, they're going to feel that. And let alone see what's uh, happening when we get to opening night uh, for the home opener on November 6th. Awesome. Well, good to catch up. Uh, do we have any other sports things we got to discuss real quick? Anything on your mind uh, that you wanted a little discussion or debate about? Boy, I don't know, Eric. I mean, the NFL is terrible for me because I'm a Lions fan. So, uh, you know, I don't really have much to even go off of with that. Uh, you know, college football is still too early to really get into uh, who's really good, who's not. I mean, we got still plenty of time, uh, you know, a good month or so to really get into those kind of debates. I think we're in a great spot to just get Toledo hockey going in here and, uh, you know, put baseball to bed like we did and, and move on. Yeah, it's been a fun playoffs. I was asking my dad. If my my dad watched. He's retired. So, like, he lives for sports. It's like every night he's watching something different. He's so retired. He watches, like, a Sacramento Kings-Phoenix Suns game on, on the NBA TV on a Monday night. I'm like, good for you, Dad. I want to make it to that point. And I asked him if he's been watching the uh, the MLB playoffs so far because some of these games have been really re- – I mean, there's been a couple of blowouts, but th- so far the MLB postseason has been filled with lots of drama, and I hope it continues all the way through the World Series. Yeah, and as someone who lost my dad this summer, it is something I'm very jealous of you that you can have those conversations with your dad. Keep doing those as many as you can. That's – the one piece of advice I can give you. I do. I do. I mean, it's the it's the connective tissue between he, he and I. It has been ever since I was a, a little boy. And uh, it's been bad in Detroit for sports. But while uh, Philly had a bit of a golden era with the Phillies and uh, the Eagles were getting the championships post Donovan McNabb, it, it's been ugly lately, and maybe because it's been ugly and mediocrity and disappointment with like the Sixers nonsense. But my dad had a pit in a lot of his in much of his stomach uh, for recent times with Philly sports teams. Yeah, it is. It, yeah, well, I can relate with being a Detroit fan. Right. Uh, you know, I can certainly relate to that. My dad was a Cleveland fan, so. Uh, you know, he and I, I, I didn't really care for Cleveland. I don't I don't have any dog in the fight when it's the Cleveland teams, but I knew he liked them. So he and I would always talk about them anyway, and I'd pay attention, you know, yeah. because we would talk about the Indians, uh, you know. So I, I certainly, and, you know, I, I've been without him now for a few months, and it's just been tough not to have those conversations and how much you miss those. So, uh, you know, it's... It's one of those that I wish I could still talk to him about, but I know uh, at least he didn't have to discuss the Guardians with me uh, <laughs> and the name change that Cleveland is going through. Uh, you know, that happened a few weeks after he passed, but, uh, you know, it's it's one of those where I think, I don't know how he would have reacted to it as being a lifelong Cleveland Indian fan. Right. Yeah. I didn't know that your father had passed him. My condolences. I'm sorry. Yeah, it, it happened in July, and, uh, you know, we kind of kept it. Uh, I didn't make, obviously, a big deal about it, uh, you know, or, or 
big, make it a big public event, uh, you know, talking about it. But, uh, yeah, certainly, uh, you know, kind of a tough time in my life there a few months ago. But, you know, I know he would have been happy that we're getting ready to keep, it, keep on going, and, and that's the thing we're doing. So, yeah. uh, you know, I appreciate that, and, you know, uh, I certainly appreciate all you do. Uh, with mental health and and all of the things that you try to get out there and and constantly talk about because they need to be discussed, that's for sure. Yeah, especially in the last 18 months or so, people who would scoff at depression, anxiety, just feel better, just act better, change your attitude. Uh, people have gotten a lot smarter about their mental health or at least embraced it or be or been willing to talk about it, even just a little bit, because there hasn't been a person on this planet who hasn't been affected by COVID, um, if not for the virus or sickness or whatever, just because they've been isolated, they have they haven't been able to do things that they love, and and that wears away. So it certainly does, and and I think a lot of people have have more of an appreciation for how hard it is to deal with mental illness, and uh, you know when you're isolated, you can start to feel that no matter how healthy you are and how active you are, and you can still certainly feel that and you kind of miss those connections with people too that's uh, part of why i'm glad we're getting back to a little bit more normalcy we're seeing more and more people at games and that's great because i think people need that stuff absolutely um good to catch up always good to chat with you and uh i will tweet you text you or see you soon all right eric appreciate it as always thank you so much buddy thanks man bye-bye all right see you pal